welcome to Knock On Podcast, where we bring you archery information and education that you can trust. Knock On was created as a way to bring all archers together, regardless of the brand you choose or the style of archery you shoot. Knock On Podcasting will deliver professional insights to the latest gear, proper shooting technique, along with high-level equipment setup and tuning. Hey everybody, welcome back to another Knock On Podcast. Uh, Definitely long past overdue with this one, and I want to first start out by apologizing to everybody who's been eagerly awaiting one of these, but it's been a a crazy, crazy month for me. Uh, Like I said last time, this time of year gets really, really tough. You know, we've got uh, family off for school or off school, and uh, also this is the time of year where I get pulled to a, a lot of seminars uh, because a lot of the archery shops and teams are a little bit slow right now, so I get pulled all around. And uh, you know, today is Fourth uh, of July, Independence Day, so happy Fourth of July, everyone back home. Uh, definitely want to spend or send a, a tremendous thank you to all the troops out there. Uh, I've got some great knock-on supporters that are military or uh, retired military. Uh, my dad's retired military, uh, Special Forces Green Beret. Several of the knock-on staff members are, uh, you know, either military or retired military. So, you know, all you guys out there, I just can't thank you enough for what you guys do. And, uh, you know, I can tell you that, you know, I really try to pay attention to what you guys are posting and uh, wholeheartedly appreciate everything and just can't say that enough. But, uh What's pretty cool about today, I feel a little bit guilty about it because I'm not home for 4th of July, but I'm actually in Dublin right now. Uh, I've been traveling like crazy, and this is the first uh, hotel that I've actually stayed in that's had good enough internet, uh, that's continual internet, where I can get one of these podcasts knocked out. Uh, Just to give you a little bit of an idea of how hectic things have been, you know, we uh, left home probably about two weeks ago, uh, flew into Manchester, England, uh, did, did a quick, uh, session, one night session, got in a plane from Manchester, flew to Paris, uh, got to spend a night in Paris with my wife, uh, then worked with a few French archers, took a train to Bordeaux, uh, got hooked up with, uh, my trusty right-hand man, Antoine, got some stuff done for the website got some stuff done for you know the knock on show some uh, video projects that we had to get knocked out and uh you know did a little bit of archery hopped on a plane flew back to liverpool england uh was there two days uh worked with a small club there then jumped uh on a plane flew to dublin and now i'm here actually uh trying to get this podcast knocked out before i get picked up here in about 50 minutes to uh go and do some private lessons followed by a huge group lesson uh with the ireland federation so uh this is going to be you know hopefully a pretty good podcast i've got a lot of questions built up here i've got a lot um still sitting on the knock on facebook page uh which i'll have to get to here shortly i'm not going to be able to do them all today but, uh, you know, it's been a hectic, hectic time of year for me. Uh, thanks to everyone as well for all the support. I know several of you have sent emails letting me know that, uh, 
that you guys bought some knock-on hats and shirts as a way to support the podcast and you know we're definitely uh we're definitely seeing that support uh come through on orders so i really really appreciate that it helps all this uh happen you know without without too much of a hiccup i know it's been a few weeks but like i said that's going to happen if I don't have uh, a major sponsor paying for this thing to to go down every week. You know, I'm trying to to be as mobile as I can and and uh, still be able to bring you some really good content. Um, just to give you guys a heads up, I've got some cool articles coming out. Um, Bow International is going to have a few cool ones coming out, um, so you might want to check out Bow International. I actually saw that magazine in a Barnes and Noble store, uh, in the U S. So for you U S guys that, um, want that bow international, check that out. Otherwise you can go to their Facebook page. Um, and they have a, a digital magazine as well. It's a really high quality magazine. I really like those guys. They put out uh, really good work. They allow me, uh, freedom with my photography to really have good support photos and, to be honest, they don't chop up my articles at all. They let me proof my own. So um, I, I know that what I write and what you guys read are the same things because that's not always the case uh, when you write. You know, some editors do a lot more chopping than others. So uh, I really like that magazine for bringing, you know, great target information out. So I'm going to jump into a, a question here um, I got, and sorry that this took so long, buddy, because Tom Collins had asked me a question, and uh, Tom is a, a diehard archer out of Wisconsin, super, super good guy, and uh, you know a lot of you out there on Facebook have probably seen him. He's super active, super passionate about archery. Um, so he asked the question, um, what is the formula for front and back weight balance? with my stabilizers and you know I think I've talked about this before um, but you know I just really don't feel that there's a true formula when it comes to stabilization stabilization is um, something that really comes down to personal preference Um, a lot of it comes down to what your form is like Um, obviously archers that shoot more of a compressed front shoulder or who naturally tend to lean back um, they're going to normally prefer a little bit more front weight um, than other archers. You know, I've always tried to keep the mass weight as close to the center of the bow as possible, or to towards the bow, I should say. Um, I try to add any mass weight that I need for slowing down my movement on the bow itself, not necessarily on the ends of the stabilizers. Um, and I normally try to like, I like to keep them under my hand. Um, so... I used to stack uh, dog weights on the riser right under my hand with my Hoyts. Um, You know, I like to uh, shoot about a 10-inch side rod. That's just my personal uh, personal liking. I normally change the angle, how how straight out it is or how close it is to the bow, uh, just depending on how that bow naturally sits. You know, when I pick that bow up, I want the bubble to be level without having to to cant the bow at all and you know I still shoot uh, a Sherlock Supreme sight I don't need to shoot the extension bracket on it so it's a really really light sight so I don't have to shoot a lot of side weight to compensate for that weight on the bow so you know my my front stabilizer 
setup. It normally is between 30 to 34 inches. Really just depends on uh, what stabilizer I have available at the time when I'm building a bow. Uh, and then, you know, like I said, the side weight's the same. I normally uh, put two or three weights on the end, but not very much. You know, I really think that, uh, you know, stabilization is something that you have to play with yourself. Uh, you know, one thing I want to definitely let you know is I don't like seeing guys that have a hard time or girls have a hard time maintaining that weight because it what'll happen is you're going to slowly start to change your form over time because you know it's it's hard enough to keep your front shoulder forward and down without a bunch of weight on it in addition to your bow. And what's going on with a lot of shooters that are seeing these guys shooting a lot of front weight is they slowly will have to start to compress their shoulder and you're going to slowly start to see them hitch their hips to where their rear shoulder is actually leaning back and it's behind their rear foot. And that's going to start to break down your form and over time it's going to give you improper alignment. What you'll also find is you need to pick a stabilizer setup that's going to allow you to keep the same form at arrow 1 as your form at arrow 100 you know you don't want to be able to to start out a tournament with a perfect t formation and perfect alignment and then you know you get halfway through the tournament and you start getting tired from holding that weight and you start to have to change your form you start leaning back you start compressing that shoulder you start bending your arm a little bit and what's going to happen is when you do that you're going to end up having to bring the string further back on your face which means your anchor point is going to feel different you're going to start to not feel comfortable and you're also going to potentially run into facial pressure with the arrow shaft that wasn't there for the first arrows so then you're going to start having those one or two arrows that start to look like they're flying a little bit funny um, you're going to have arrows that just impact to the left or to the right without explanation because your pin was still in the middle so you know pick a stabilizer setup that helps you you know that helps you stabilize but also one that allows you to do it throughout the day and keep your form you know you don't if you're not an archer that's able to practice for lots of arrows every single day then you need to just face the reality of you're not going to build up the type of strength involved to shoot that kind of weight that a lot of these pros are shooting you know, when I looked at, uh, I went to an NFA tournament several months ago, I popped in, and I think I'd mentioned this before, but, you know, I looked at one archer's bow who's who ended up winning the tournament, and he had a tremendous amount of weight on the front of his bow, you know, out on the end. And then the guy that took second, Jesse Broadwater, he had the same amount of uh, weight on his bow, but it was behind the bow. So, I mean, you've got two complete polar opposites, and it really comes down to to what you know is going to favor your form personally i think weight that's further back on the bow and closer towards your central uh you know body weight your central gravity standing on the ground i think that's going to be the easiest to control for the longest period of time and in the past i also talked about if you want to try playing around with how a bow actually holds and how it aims what you need to do is you need to play around with the pulling point on your string. You know, move your, set your knocking point, say at 90, with your arrow running through the center of your burger button hole. 
and then you know shoot it there see how it aims and then move your knocking point up a quarter inch to where your arrow is at the top of your burger buttonhole and then move it down to where it's more towards the bottom of your burger buttonhole you know each time you move that your knocking point you're going to have to move your arrow rest um, you know so that you have good flight again but what you're going to find is when you change that pulling point that affects the relationship to where you're actually holding the bow in the front you know it's it's virtually a triangle so on some bows when the pulling point is higher above your holding point on the riser it'll aim better and sometimes when they're closer together they'll aim better and this is going to vary a lot on different bows because some bow manufacturers make bows where the the actual grip itself is in the center of the riser some make them where they're a little bit lower on the riser and some make them in between so you know that relationship is going to affect how the bow aims a lot more than what you would than what probably what you're going to get with your stabilizer setup um, the next question I got here is from uh, Brad Bentley, and uh, he said, would you prefer the Pro Comp over the Pro Edge? And this is a question I actually get a lot, the Hoyt Pro Comp uh, Elite or the Pro Edge Elite. And, you know, this both of these bows are great bows. They're both slightly different. They both shoot really the same. To be honest with you, I'm getting the same results out of both when it comes to grouping, but when it comes to what a shooter is going to like, it's really going to come down to the cam itself um, on these bows more so you know everyone wants to know how they shoot because the axle axle length and you know because they both have they both have general uh, brace heights the axle axle length really doesn't come into play I believe with either of these bows it's really going to come down to what type of feel you like as an archer on your cam itself because these two cams are going to be different you know the GTX cam is going to have a certain feel the Spiral X cam is going to have a certain feel which both those cams you can get on the Pro Comp Elites and then for the Pro Edge you know the cam that it uses uh, the Z5 it's it's got a completely different feel as well you know to be honest you can be a lot more lazy with the Z5 cam on the Pro Edge Elite you know it has a little bit longer valley than either of the other two cams. Uh, it's got a really hard wall, but it has a longer valley, and it's also going to have the most let off. Um, you know what I've done is I actually put the the spiral uh, screw in uh, draw stop on my Pro Edge, but instead of having it on the the slot that it needs to be in, like say in a D location, because I went to that smaller post than what's on it, I moved it to the one size smaller uh, spot so I went from a D to the C but put that smaller spiral X post in there because the post that comes on it is a real big red one and because that smaller one it's gonna it's gonna lower your lead off a little bit uh, so that you can have say more around the 70% 65 to 70% let off instead of you know more of like a 75% let off and it'll shorten your valley a little bit so you know you almost have five or four choices um, in cam feel if you're comparing these bows the spiral cam is going to have the most aggressive feel it's going to have more response so if you like a bow that reacts if you like if you're really uh, thirsty for speed then the spiral cam is going to be the one for you 
um, on my pro comp, I shoot the GTX cam with the 65% let off. I think that that's a really forgiving cam. It's, it's not as demanding as the Spiral X, um, you know, but it does have a little bit more holding weight than what the Z5 cam would have. Um, you know, it's a cam that I've shot for a long time on my Hoyts and I really, really like that cam, um, all the way back to the, you know, really to the, to the Vantage Elite. Um, I really like that cam as well. And then, you know, once you get into the Pro Edge, you've got that Z5 cam, but you can either put that spiral peg on it and downside, down slot it one slot, or you can shoot the, the peg that comes standard on it. And the, you know, the big red peg that comes standard on it is going to give you the highest let off the biggest valley. So if you're just a hunter that wants a target bow, you're probably going to feel a lot more comfortable with the Pro Edge stock as it is. You know, if you're a hunter that is a little bit more serious as a target archer uh, and you want a little bit more of a target feel, then try changing that post out to that smaller spiral post and downsize it one slot. Um, you know, if you're a pretty passionate target shooter and uh, you just really like focusing on target, then in my opinion, the Pro Comp Elite with the GTX cam is just a super, super forgiving setup. It's got, you know, great speed. Um, it's got good response, but it's not super demanding. But then if you like a very, very demanding bow that has a lot of response, then, you know, take a look at the spiral system, you know, the Spiral X cam for that bow. And, you know, again, it's going to give you a completely different feel. The best thing for you to do uh, before you really, you know, if you're pondering these is, you know, go to a shoot and just try to find someone that has you know, even if they don't have the same bow, just pull back a bow with a spiral, you know, maybe shoot an arrow and you're going to, you're going to get a feel. You're going to see how that cam feels and then pull back, you know, the pro edge elite and see how that cam feels. And that's going to really give you, uh, an idea of what is going to be easiest for you to shoot. So hopefully that helps you out, uh, Brad and everybody else out there who's asked me that same question. Uh, this next question here is from looks like Cy Claypool and uh, he said he wants to pick my brain and see uh, what I think if there's any type of drills uh, that I know of that can help. Uh, it says as of late uh, he seems to be locking up below the target at further distances and you know this is a pretty common thing for a lot of people. Uh, you know it's it's kind of, in my opinion, the first stages of starting to get target panic, you know, freezing beneath the target. Um, a lot of people can hold really still on the target. And, uh, you know, when you do that, you know, the next step is because you can't get your pin on the target, you start, you know, lifting the pin and punching the release to try to time it perfect so that you're hitting your trigger right when the arrow is or when the pin's in the center of the target. And this is something you definitely want to just keep telling yourself, don't do that. Don't do that. You know, you don't, you do not want to start ingraining that type of habit into your shooting because it's going to take you down a very, very dark path. Um, I'm going to take a quick sip of coffee here. Uh, so give me one second. The coffee is strong uh, over here in, in Europe, for those of you who don't know. So you can't really guzzle too much of it at one time, uh, but I do need to keep my throat wet. Well, one thing that I want you to, one, 
to think about. Uh, you know, this is something that I work on with a lot of people. You know, when it comes to people having target panic, you know, a lot of people think, um, you know, that they, they start to build that target panic because they're afraid to miss. And what you really should start telling yourself is that, you know, because a lot of times I'll tell people, well, it's actually not that you're afraid to miss, you're afraid to hit it. And most guys are going to take offense to that, you know, uh, what do you mean? I'm not, I'm afraid to hit it. I want to hit it. Well, if you want to hit the middle, then you got to put your pin in the middle. You know, the fact that you're aiming off the spot means that you're afraid to hit it. You know, that's, that's my opinion. Uh, so if you keep telling yourself, I'm not afraid to be in the middle, I want to be in the middle, you know, I'm not afraid, I'm not afraid of missing. Uh, you know, you want your pin in the middle of the target. And if you're aiming off the target, then it's just plain and simple. You're afraid to hit the target. Um, you know, you need to get comfortable with the fact that if you want to hit the middle, your pin's got to be in the middle. And it's okay that your pin is there and has movement. A lot of people are afraid of movement on the dot. And the bottom line is you need to have movement on the dot. What happens when you cover a target is, you know, you're you're giving feedback to your brain. You're telling your brain, I want to hit that spot. And your brain says, okay, well, that's fine. We need to cover it with this, with the pin. So you cover it with the pin. Well, after a few seconds, your brain is wanting confirmation that what you're telling it to do is still there. You know, if you cover the whole spot, then a lot of times your natural movement is moving your pin slightly off the target just so that your your eyes can see that X or that hole or that spot that you're aiming at. It moves your pin off just enough to where it can see it and then it's going to bring it back. You know, that pin is always returning back to center. It's it's floating. You know, I like to refer to it. It was, well, it was taught to me years ago, um, Tim Strickland actually was working with me on the same subject and he said you know it's a lot like driving a car down the road if you drive your car down the road and you're trying to drive on a straight road you don't just sit there with your hand perfectly locked on the steering wheel you know you float your hand side to side you slowly float back and forth but you track in a straight line and I've just let that vision stick in my mind and when I pull back and I put my pin on the target I just keep telling myself, it's okay, it's okay, it's okay. You know, you need to be able to do that. One drill that you can do as well is, you know, tell yourself, make it a game to yourself of how slow you can actually pull on a trigger. You know, pull back and just only focus on your trigger and how slow you can pull it. Make it a game count to yourself 1,000, 2,000, 1,000, 3,000, and just build as slow of pressure on your release as you possibly can until it'll fire. You know, see if you can pull on a trigger for 10, 12 seconds before it goes off. But you also, with this drill, need to tell yourself, okay, listen, I'm focusing on a game of slow trigger, so I'm not worried about where my pin goes. 
I know that it's probably not going to be in the perfect center of the target, but I'm going to do my best to hold in the center while I continue to pull as slow as possible. And obviously, once you start to run out of oxygen, once you start to get tired, your pin movement's going to become a little bit more, but completely forget about that. It's a game of how slow you can pull your trigger. If you play that game, you're going to start to accept a couple different things. One, that it's okay to pull your trigger um, you know, without needing to anticipate it. Also, you're going to start to train yourself that who cares if your pin's moving around a little bit. You know, what's important is the game. You know, you know that you're going to have movement, but that's not what you're working on. I'm a firm believer in if you want to build your archery, you build it by taking certain parts of your game and focusing on them at different parts of the year. You know, I always like to look about three times a year. I'll look at my game and I'll say, okay, what's the weakest part of my archery game right now? And I will slow, I will totally focus on slowly making the weakest part of my game the strongest part you know and that's going to come with training that's going to come with patience that's going to come with with drills just like what I'm talking about it's going to come from you accepting other parts of your game may go down a little bit for the time being but in the end your weakest part of your game is going to become your strongest this can be things like shooting in the wind. It can be things like, uh, you know, I never shoot the last spot very good. You know, my last spot is always the one where I shoot nines, you know, people that shoot spot targets. You know, different things like that. Things that are um, little voodoos for you. Things that freak you out. Things that for some reason seem to never uh, work right for you. Whatever that is, just tell yourself, okay, I'm going to work on that. And I want, you know, that's going to be, I want, I'm not going to be, I'm not going to work on anything else until that's my strongest point. You know, I used to struggle with that with spot targets. You know, I could, I seem to never be able to shoot my first arrow in the 10. It just seemed like, you know, the first one was always a little bit wild. And then, you know, and then I started to think, well, it's only when I aim at the top spot. So, you know, I just, I actually started, okay, well, if it's, if it's the top spot that's weirded me out, maybe, maybe reverse my order. So instead of shooting the top spot first, I shot the top spot last. And then what you start to realize is, okay, well, that top spot doesn't really have any type of hex on it. It's just, it's all in my mind. And you build your weak point to become your strongest point. And then in the end, when you say, okay, now I'm just going to focus on shooting, you can move past those mental hurdles like that. My next question here is from Troy King. Uh, let's see. He kind of says, you know, thanks. Just a quick note. Thank you for the articles and the podcasts. Uh, they've really, really helped answer some of his questions. Um, and he said, I also was wondering if you wrote or covered um, how to keep an arrow on a blade rest. Um you know, sometimes when he shoots, it's fine, but other times it falls off. Um, when it comes to an, a blade rest, you know, a lizard tongue, you know, there's a couple things here. You know, one, you want to make sure uh, if you're starting to shoot a slightly larger diameter shaft, you know, sometimes uh, those those uh, standard size launcher blades are just fine when you're shooting 
uh, you know, on flat ground or when you're shooting without wind. But obviously, especially guys that are 3D guys that are starting to shoot a light arrow, you know, they slowly start to, once they get into some wind, they start kind of blowing off, things like that. You know, some guys tend to shake a lot more uh, when they get a little bit nervous and their arrows will fall off those arrow blades. Uh, you know, try shooting, uh, for example, try shooting a wider blade, like say if you're shooting like an Easton Fat Boy or something for 3D. Um, you know, or even on your indoor arrows, you know, I shoot a trophy taker spring steel too. And years ago we made uh, a wide blade option for that, for the best launcher. So there's a narrow blade for outdoor arrows. And then there's a wide blade for some of the smaller diameter shafts, like say a, a 2312 or something, the blade might be just a fuzz too wide. And if you're having any type of contact, then just uh, sand off those tips of of the the lizard tongue or you can also uh, you know just barely trim them off with like a little snip um, I've done that as well um, the other thing is when it comes to actually tying your knocking points this has a huge impact as well on keeping your arrow on those blade rests if you have knock pinch so when you draw your bow back if you if you're uh, knock start to pinch your arrow shaft at all it'll lighten it'll it'll start to lighten the pressure that your arrow has on the arrow rest itself so it'll start to you know it'll almost start to lift up it's less pressure and that's going to cause a lot of inconsistency too sometimes when you start to shoot downhill you'll start to see that arrow will fall off the arrow rest a lot easier than when you're shooting on flat ground so what I do to make sure that I don't have incorrect uh, knock gapping when I tie my knocks on is um, I'll tie my knock on, put my loop on, and I'll draw an arrow back without the point in the arrow shaft. I'll draw it back on the rest and I'll aim flat, I'll aim up, and then I'll bend my waist and I'll aim slightly down. If your arrow comes up off that launcher, then it's telling you that your knocks are too close together and you're actually pinching that arrow shaft and you're lifting it. The other thing you can do too is, you know, some bows out there don't have very favorable knock travels. Um, and some bows have different actual pressures um, you know, at full draw, some some bows naturally have less pressure when it comes to how much force the arrow is being pushed down onto the arrow rest itself. So what you can do if you're struggling with having enough downward pressure to where your arrow is sitting nice on that rest, what you can do is if you tie a slightly bigger knock on the bottom underneath your uh, arrow knock, then that's going to cause more downward force and it's going to push that arrow a little bit more onto the arrow rest. So that's a couple different things that you can do to, uh, to fix that problem. But the first thing is first, you want to make sure that your knocking points um, are apart enough to where when you come to full draw, you're not picking the arrow, arrow off that rest when there's no weight in the arrow. Um, and also you need to make sure too that there's not too much spacing you know obviously when you pull your bow back to full draw um, if someone can grab your knock and even move it up or down half a half a millimeter 
um, that's going to cause you problems with highs and lows. So that's something that you definitely need to, to pay attention to. Um, next question here is from Brad. Uh, looks like Laysater. I don't know if I said that right, but uh, he said that uh, he's been shooting competition for the last several years and uh, indoor spots mainly. Um, with some field occasionally said he started out with a vantage elite um but for his 27 and a quarter inch draw he felt that the bow was fairly big so he moved to the pro comp elite uh, and felt better uh, about the overall size of the bow but still still feels that it's um, a bit much um he said after talking to several of the pros they recommended they got something that was closer to 35 inches axle to axle because of the draw length um and he said, you know, peep location and stringing will normally isn't any type of an issue for him, which it wouldn't be because his draw length is too short. Um, says his question is, is there a relationship between axle to axle and draw length? Um, you know, not really focused on the string angle as much. Um, you know, honestly, the guys with shorter draw lengths, they're going to have kind of the pick of the cream of the crop. You guys with those shorter draws, you're going to be able to almost pick any bow that that you like the feel of, and it's gonna it's gonna be perfect for you. You know, guys like myself, I've got a 31 inch draw. You know, some of those bows they just get to. You know, I can't. I'm not really comfortable in a lot of these 30 inch, 32 inch hunting bows because they're just. You know, the string angle is just too sharp for me. Personally, you need to focus on a bow that like you said isn't too big for you when it comes you know it's not necessarily about the axle axle length it comes down to the overall weight of the bow um also you know some bows if you know if you're a shorter guy you know and a bow is literally uh you know half of your height or you know two-thirds of your height it, it might be a little bit too much for you you know, a bow, um, this year they came out with that Pro Comp FX, and that's a bow that really is specifically designed. It's a more compact Pro Comp, and it's designed specifically for the people that are in that mid-draw range because it's not about the string angle. It's more so about the fact that the bow is scaled down to the size person you are. You know, companies are making a lot of bows now. It's not like in the past where you kind of had one target bow and, and two hunting bows to choose from and then whatever they made last year. You know, a lot of companies are making a lot of different models. Um, you know, I can say that if you're focused a little bit on target and field, I think a bow that's 35 inches, you know, approximately um, between 35 to 38 inches are probably going to be better for you. Um, I think it's just going to be a little bit easier for you to hold. Um, the other thing too, you know, if you're shooting field and you're shooting some up and downhill shots, you know, a lot of times those bigger bows, you know, they get a lot harder for, for smaller people and ladies, uh, to be able to, you know, get leveled properly to hold on a, on a uphill or a dramatic downhill shot. You know, when you see, um, you know, some of the ladies out there that are shooting the, the same bows that the guys are, a lot of times they're the ladies that, you know, are the bigger of the ladies, so to speak. You know, they're not the ones that uh, are the small, petite ones. You know, they've uh, 
they've really done a good job in the archery industry in the last several years of building bows that tailor to everybody. Um, personally, I think if you're in that, you know, 28 and a half or lower draw length range, I think those bows that are in there around that 37 to 35 inch axle axle length, they're going to be really, really comfortable for you. Um, whereas if you're anywhere from, you know, 29 to 30 inches, I think bows that are, you know, 35 to 40 inches are going to be good. And, you know, I think if you're a guy that's 31 inch draw like myself, you know, you're going to kind of want to focus on those bows that, that are a little bit bigger. So there's no true formula, um, but it really comes down to almost the same thing I talked about at the beginning of this podcast, picking a bow that you can make just as good as shots with on arrow one as you are on arrow 100. And if you feel like you're fighting the overall size of that bow by halfway through or towards the end of your tournament, then it really doesn't matter how good it shoots at the beginning because those last three or four ends are always the ones that separate almost the entire field when it comes to performance um, as a competitor. So you want to be able to finish as strong as you started. And if your bows, if the size of your bow is preventing you from doing that, then definitely you're going to want to, to take a look at that and uh, make an adjustment. Uh, next question here is from Mike Coates. Um, you know, once again, he said, loving the podcast. Um, you know, great info from a stand-up guy. I guess he's trying to earn some brownie points before he asked me the question, but that's all right. Um, says he's moving to a limb-driven drop-away and was wondering uh, if I've seen any string stretch um, in the cable that's attached, you know, or in other words, the loop material cord that goes and attaches down to my limb. Um, I shoot the trophy taker smack down and um, I'm actually, I got one, um, I, I got one made with uh, a smaller launcher blade on it, a smaller, um, you know, lifter so that it's not as wide like what I use on my hunting bows. Um, it's like a, a pronghorn style rest. And I'm going to try this on my target bows. Years ago, I actually shot fallaways on um, some of my field bows, and I really, really liked them. And they've been doing that for years over here in Europe. Um, you know, I remember shooting against Morgan London and Dayon Sitar and and uh, Niels Balder, you know, way back 10, 15 years ago or whatever it's been. And they were shooting uh, fallaway style arrow rest uh, then, but they they had started attaching little springs in the middle of their cord so that it had a little bit of forgiveness built into it. Um, you know, and that's back when we tied directly to the cable itself, and that was the only option because it when you tie directly to the power cable, it does change a few things. If it's too tight, it'll, it'll pull on your cable and it, you know, it'll, it'll end up changing your timing a little bit in your cams, or it can actually build a little bit more pressure, um, you know, on that power cable. If you're, especially if you have your rest, uh, cord too short where it's coming up too early, um, you know, getting that length exactly right is sometimes really hard to do and by putting that small little piece of rubber or piece of uh, spring in the middle of that like they used to do they took they made it a lot more forgiving to where you didn't have to get that length totally perfect but 
I never like dealing with that. You know, I don't like having a connection in the middle. I don't like having a spring that I can bend and pop off. So, you know, years ago, um, I actually tried a SmackDown, you know, a limb driven fall away rest, uh, just because I, you know, I was having some, some bad luck with trying to tune my fall away. I feel like in order for me to get it to come up at the right time, I was putting a lot of pressure on the type of cable that I have. And this, and this is really important today because, you know, a lot of these bows have roller guards on them. So, you know, your cables aren't coming back on a slide. When they came back on a slide, it tended to lift that rest up, you know, you can get your length uh, a lot easier than the ones that pull straight down. It seems like, you know, there's a lot more pressure on them that way. So um, I switched to the limb driven system and just loved it. I instantly had way better tunes. Um, you know, for one, uh, I think back when I was, when I first tried this, I was struggling with a bow that just continued to give me a left tear. I could not get the left tear on it no matter where I was moving my rest. Um, so I ended up going to that SmackDown and just instantly it was gone. I was able to have my rest down the middle. Um, it just seems like the consistency is way better. Um, not to mention, you know, when you're setting your bow up, uh, because it's a limb driven system, the rest is actually when you attach it to your bow before you tie that cable off to your limb, uh, the rest is actually in the up position. So when you're setting up your bow for the first time, you can get your knock level, you can eyeball your center shot, you can get your rest completely moved where you want it, tie on your knock points, tie on your loop. And then when you attach that cord down to your limb, you know, you pretty much just smash the rest flat down. You pull that cord as tight as you can on the limb and, and you secure it into place and, and that thing's totally ready to shoot. You know, I can honestly say as a hunter, I'm really, really hard on my equipment. Um, you know, I definitely, uh, I definitely beat the heck out of my equipment, and I've never had a single problem with that. Um, some companies might not have, you know, if you feel like the cord that comes on that is not a very good quality and you feel like you have a lot of give in it, then, you know, ultimately it's loop material. So just buy a better loop material um you know i use like bcy 62 braid and uh and it works great i haven't had any problems i've got some bows that are three years old and it's still perfectly fine so my uh response a hundred percent is you're gonna love a, a limb driven system and you're not gonna have any problems definitely don't worry about it uh last question here of the day. I gotta make sure I wrap this up in time to to get this posted before I gotta head to my class or give a class, I guess, is um from Matthew J. Uh he sent me a message here and uh he said uh I'm having problems getting into the T that is desired for proper shooting technique. Uh when I draw, he said that his shoulders um always seem to be up and he tries to relax them down uh before his anchor but he says that as soon as he gets to his anchor they raise up again you know keeping your shoulders down and forward this is something that you really need to focus on doing before you even draw your bow you need to get in the habit of taking your bow lifting it straight out in front of you so that your shoulder is down and forward and you need to be able to shoot a draw weight that is manageable for you so that you can take your hand 
and pull it straight back to your face to get to your anchor. The people that have to raise their bow to pull it back, as soon as you pull back, your front shoulder is going to be high, um, and a lot of times your back shoulder is going to be high too. That's Now, if you're still having that problem, even when you're drawing the bow correctly, um, and actually you can go, I wrote an article called, I think, Draw Cycle. It should be either at dudleyarchery.info in the, in the articles tab or on the knockontv.com page in the articles tab there was an article that I did called draw cycle and it shows you um, actually how to raise your bow how to draw back how to do exactly what we're talking about that's a great article for you guys to look at so that you can see some pictures as a reference otherwise if you're drawing the bow correctly and it's still going into that position there's a good chance that your that your bow is simply too short or your string angle is just too sharp and you're having to crunch into that position once you come to anchor you know you can you can see if you can fix that you know just a a quick simple fix even though it's not going to be a permanent one is to put a longer d loop on there just to see how lo- how much longer you need to be to where you can actually lift your bow, pull your hand straight back to your face without having to raise your bow above the target and come to your anchor position and see if that shoulder is still down and forward. You know, if you realize, well, I need an extra, you know, my loop is an inch longer in order to do that, then you know that you're going to slightly need to lengthen your bow. But a great uh, thing to look at is going to be that article on draw cycle. Uh, thanks everyone for being patient. I know this podcast is like totally overdue, but uh, I'm going to try to get back on track here. I'm going to be home, uh, soon enough. Uh, too bad it wasn't, uh, today so I could see some fireworks back in my hometown, but, uh, you know, I'm trying to do everything I can to spread the knowledge here on archery, grow this sport and, uh, Thanks everybody so much for uh, supporting the the podcast, supporting Knock On, and uh, make sure you guys get out there on this uh, great day of independence, this great weekend, and uh, get some arrows shot downrange. Thanks everybody. Knock On. Be sure to visit knockonarchery.com to see our entire line of trendy Knock On lifestyle clothing. Knockonarchery.com.